On today's episode of the Nerd by Weird podcast, we venture out on a mission to space and select our own squads of five members of the sci-fi fandoms. Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, DC, or Indie, it's all fair game here. Bienvenidos and willkommen to the latest episode of the Nerd by Word. Today we're letting our creative juices flow and drafting our own squads for a mission to space. But first and foremost, it's time to get it caught up on the latest... David, it would appear that the nerd world has lost an unsung hero. Yeah, and unsung he is, and for some reason, I really don't understand quite why. You know, when we talk about the architects of our childhoods, especially as, you know, Nintendo fans who lived through the, the, the Nintendo revolution, you know, the, the NES, the SNES, the Game Boy, and all that, there's a lot of names that come up. Uh, the, the primary one, probably, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, the guy who, you know, developed uh, Donkey Kong, who developed Mario, who developed Zelda. But I think it's probably high time, really way overdue, that we talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the hardware people in, in the background. And one of those, regrettably, uh, just passed away, Masayuki Uemura at uh, age 78. And he was the architect of the uh, NES, uh, the, the Famicom, and the SNES, uh, the Super Famicom. Um, it, you know, it's undeniable that uh, this man has made incredible contributions to the nerd world in in specifically in gaming and the fact that he passed away on december 6th we've we've really you know lost uh, a legend so a little background uh, originally apparently uemura worked at uh, sharp uh, he was uh, selling photocell uh, technology to various companies um, got you know in contact with nintendo in you know in the course of his employment um, he actually uh, ended up um working at Nintendo, uh, starting, I believe, in 1981. Uh, it was then uh, tasked with coming up with a video game system that uses cartridges. Um, and the rest, uh, as they say, is history. Uh, he also returned again to uh, work on the development of the uh, Super Nintendo Entertainment System, um, the Super Famicom, as it is known in Japan. Ultimately retired from Nintendo in 2004. Um and then started uh, working at Ritsumaiken University, where he became the director of game studies. Um, so this this guy is absolutely, you know, a legend and so very important to uh, the gaming world that we have today, thanks to his work on the uh, NES and the SNES. And, you know, this is really... Uh, one of the architects of of my childhood, the uh, the NES and the Super Nintendo both loomed very large in my life. Uh, they were very uh, formative in me becoming a nerd. And so, you know, at this point, all I can say is, you know, hats off uh, to a fantastic architect and designer of, of video game consoles. Um, he will be missed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and it's it's a real shame that, you know, names like these, 
you know, they'll show up at the end of a game and a blink and you'll miss it kind of credits roll. But like you really, you really underappreciate. I mean, like I did a quick Google search and you really had to dig to find like a news story based on, um, you know, his passing and, and his story. So, I mean, when you think back to the Super Nintendo and, and the original NES, it's like those are like some of the formative things of my childhood and, and you know, some of my fondest memories and bonding with my family members, you know, playing Duck Hunt and, and you know, Super Mario World. Um, so um, very, very grateful in this moment for Mr. Uemura's, you know, contributions to, to you know, my life and uh those formative years and, and kind of set me on the path to being the gamer and the fan that I am now. Yeah. It's, it's, I think as, as gamers, we do oftentimes um, a poor job um, giving credit to the people behind the scenes a little bit. I mean, there are some exceptions, you know, big uh, personalities like Hideo Kojima, for example. Uh, but for the most part, you know, uh, the people that are really, truly the architects of various video game consoles, you know, the the artists and designers who who design all the stuff. And part of it is probably that there's just so many people uh, in this day and, age, in day and age involved, even in creating a video game. It's hard to shine a spotlight on, you know, hundreds of people involved in a single game. But I do think, especially when we're looking like historically at, at these these founding fathers of gaming, so to speak, um, I think we just need to do a better job, you know, appreciating them and, and learning about them. I think that is that's high time for that. Absolutely. And where's my documentary on Nintendo? Like that would be amazing to watch. I bet you that's incredibly difficult because Nintendo is legendarily secretive. Um they really don't like to let people see the, their design process and, and their, their brainstorming and rejected ideas. They're very, very secretive as a company. I wish that they would strike a deal with some documentary filmmaker and kind of open up the doors and, and really, you know, let, even let, if they uh, have like final say or something like they could still control what is, you know, revealed, but. Oh, to totally agreed. It, it's mind blowing, even that we're getting, you know, an, an animated Super Mario movie after all these years. Considering that they've basically shut down, like, you know, any third party developing much of anything based on their properties for a long time, unless it was super tightly controlled. And Hollywood just needed a stay away period. So, I mean, that's been decades now. So, uh, you know, a, a a documentary on like even you know the creation of of the NES. Would, would be absolutely fascinating. I watched two hours of people talking about how that sucker was put together okay, in various yeah. games and stuff. That would be fascinating. All right, Chris, we're going to stay in the world of gaming with your story. What you got? So video gamers are finally going to get their passport punched to Themyscira. It was revealed via trailer at the 2021 Game Awards that Monolith, Warner Brothers, and DC Comics are developing an action-adventure game for Wonder Woman. It is reported that uh, the game will feature the patented Nemesis system made famous in Monolith's award-winning games Middle-Earth, Shadow of War, and Shadow of Mordor, previous nerd commendation. For a great breakdown on just what that means, the Nemesis system that's got like a big name, what does that mean? Uh, let's tap into a great Den of Geek article by Matthew Bird, and I'm quoting here, quote, for those who don't know, the Nemesis system is a unique mechanic that essentially relies on a military-like hierarchy of NPCs that can remember player actions. That system serves as serves the plots of the Shadow games, 
but it's best known for enhancing the thrill of those games as open world encounters by introducing the possibility that even the lowliest grunt could eventually become a boss who remembers their previous battle against you, end quote. So it would appear that the Wonder Woman fandom has been clamoring for some time for a feature like this uh, for Diana and company, and our prayers to Hera have finally been answered, Dave. Yeah, you know, I'm very, very excited about this. Obviously, um, one one of the problems uh, that we end up with is that you know, th- this early announcement with no game footage, really anything except for like brief flashes of Diana in costume, means that this is probably still very early in development and God knows where it's going to end up or how long it's going to take until we actually see it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of developers announcing games uh, very, very early in the process because ultimately things change, games get canceled, um, the mission statement changes, systems don't work the way they anticipated, the whole game gets tossed out, they have to start over. Something very similar just very recently happened actually over um, with Nintendo with Metroid Prime 4 where a developer was working on it, it wasn't going the way they wanted to, they had to toss the whole game out, start it over from scratch with I think... uh, I think they brought on Retro Studios. And here we are several years now after the game was announced and there is still no game uh, and no real news for gamers. This is not like a movie, you know, where you start seeing a trailer and within a year or so you see, you know, the finished product. Game development is hard and takes a very, very long time sometimes. And we probably are getting very excited for something that we're not going to see for at least another three to five years. Um, so I really wish they would have done a little bit more work behind the scenes before they they went with this announcement because it is going to be very, very quiet around this game until we see anything else. That being said, I am very, very, very excited about a Wonder Woman game. I'm a big Wonder Woman fan. Um, and I think there has been um, a lack, a decided lack of video games on the DC side in particular that focus on anybody other than Batman. Um I'm still waiting for a good Superman game as well. So get, getting a good Wonder Woman game, um, especially if this thing is successful, will go a very, very, very long way towards us seeing more games focused on other characters than, you know, Batman. And I think that's just a, that's just great. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that this is kind of a, a linchpin type moment where, you know, this game comes out and is successful as it, you know, inevitably will be for you know, for so many reasons. Um, and, and hopefully this is kind of like a jumping off point into where, you know, we can get a Superman game or a Flash game or a Green Lantern game. I think that would be super fun, you know, going through space and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm very, very hopeful. Uh, I did not know that. Uh, I, I didn't really take that in consideration about the, the development process. And that is a really great point to make. But I, I'm initially very, very excited. And I just hope that, you know, we can stay the course. Yeah, you and me both, man. Um, I mean, look, look, look at my uh, my my most anticipated game, Horizon Forbidden West. It's already been delayed again, too. I mean, making games is hard, man, and and getting it right is even harder. So, here's hoping that this is not going to be you know five six years down the line before we actually get to play a game. All right, that wraps up our nerd news segment. When we come back from our first break, we're headed to space. <laughs> Welcome back to the main segment of today's episode. You know it as our byword. Big talk. 
And in today's Byword Big Talk, we are headed to space. We are drafting our away team, if you will. Uh, who is our crew? We're each picking five people from cosmic fandom. So we're going comics, we're going Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever sci-fi. It's all fair game here. We're all encompassing nerds. So we're each going to draft our team of five that we want to take on a mission uh, that is undetermined. So we both kind of came away with this. You know, we kind of sat in a corner and came up with our teams and we had very different strategies, it would seem. So Dave, who is your first pick? Your first roster spot is going to whom? So before I talk about my actual roster, I just want to say, number one, I completely restricted myself to comic book characters, uh, specifically uh, big two and indies. And two, uh, and I found this to be a very, very interesting exercise, since I always talk about how much I love strong female characters. Uh, That is all I picked are strong female characters. So I have five female characters from uh, comic books. Uh, So obviously uh, my first draft pick then, uh, restricted to comic books and looking at strong female characters, is Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. I mean, it makes sense. She's incredibly powerful. She she can fly. She can produce energy bursts. She's half alien herself. She's a human-cree hybrid. She has a, a military background. Um, which is, uh, you know, extremely useful as far as like, you know, leadership. And so the way I um, envision sort of my my team here, my space team, is that Captain Marvel sort of takes point. She uh, fulfills the, the leadership role. She's extremely experienced, very powerful, can survive in space. Um, and it's really the perfect character in my book uh, to, to lead such a team. <clears throat> yeah, I love that pick. Um and you know what? I'm going to adjust on the fly here. This is going to be an all-female draft. This is great. I love this for us. So <laughs> I did not I did not restrict myself to comics, um, but that is included here. I I was I I'm 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 currently, as listeners know, binging DS9. So I had to resist making a team full of DS9 characters. So I, I was kind of going Star Trek and Star Wars with a little bit of comic sprinkled in. So it's just funny how uh, we kind of laid out this template and took it in very different directions. Uh, so Carol's your first pick. Let's throw that up here in the dock. And I love that for you. So what then, uh, Chris, is your first pick? You know, it would not be a complete cosmic story without me expressing my love for Ahsoka Tano. I love this character so much. Um, I think that she epitomizes what we think Jedis are or what we thought they were without officially being a Jedi. So I think like she's not going to be held down by the red tape of the Jedi Council, um, especially after they do her wrong like that. And then I, I just there's so many aspirational things about this spunky little character um, who is great when it comes to being like an emissary and, you know, going back and forth with different, you know, po- sociopolitical relations on different planets. She can kick ass with the best of them. Um I mean, that last season of Clone Wars is just a magnum opus for her character. And then um, I also ride for Star Wars Rebels. It's one of my favorite entries into anything fandom-wise. 
uh, and a grown-up Ahsoka is just awesome. Rosario Dawson did a fantastic job portraying her in The Mandalorian, and I'm so excited for this series coming up, but my number one draft pick has to be Ahsoka. So I'm just going to say I'm really glad that I decided to restrict myself to comic book characters because if I would have went full, you know, sci-fi fandom, Ahsoka would have been at the top of my list as well. And then we would have had to, like, fight <laughs> it out over her or something. And uh, I don't think that's particularly classy at this point, two guys beating the snot out of each other over over a female character. But Ahsoka is absolutely fantastic character and one of my all-time faves in the Star Wars universe as well. So a fantastic pick, Chris. Uh, I, I salute the. And I tip my cap right back to you. Who is number two on your roster, Dave? So uh, obviously, uh, if you're going to have some kind of, you know, uh, space team, uh, you need strong leadership, but you also need to have, you know, uh, a good uh, scientist in your corner, somebody who is smart, capable, uh, very, very um, uh, able to take care of themselves on top of just being intelligent. I'm thinking, you know, a, a Spock, to my Kirk. And if um, Carol Danvers is my Kirk, then uh, I really think Nadia Van Dyne, the Wasp, should be my Spock. Um, so I absolutely adore this character. It's probably one of my uh, my favorite of the newer characters out of uh, the Marvel Universe. Uh, she's, of course, the daughter of Hank Pym and his first wife, Maria Trovaya. Um, she was... Uh, his first wife was kidnapped during their honeymoon and, and killed by foreign agents. He didn't even know he had uh, a daughter with her, Nadia, who was raised in the Red Room. So, you know, for a fact, she's very, very capable as far as hand-to-hand combat. She can take care of herself. But at the same time, she definitely is taken after her father. She's extremely intelligent uh, and a world-class scientist as well. And... Uh, obviously uses pim particles for the good old shrinking trick. So you have a character here that really brings a lot to the table. You know, the whole shrinking and enlarging thing can come very handy in any kind of mission. She's capable of taking care of herself and fighting in hand-to-hand combat, and on top of that is a world-class scientist. I don't think it gets much better than that for a team like this, Chris. See, this is fascinating because you you tease some deep cuts, and you know this is becoming a mainstream character, but it's not one that I have extensive, uh, you know, experience with, other than like crossovers or showing up in a main title. So I'm I'm definitely fascinated by your your sales pitch, so to speak, and uh, I want to check out more about this character. Oh, and yeah, she she has um, an interesting personality too. I think that will uh, would kind of clash interestingly, not clash, but like mesh interestingly with with Carol, who can be very you know um, no nonsense when she's on the job, so to speak, and get the job done. And and for her weird upbringing, Nadia is a little more um, naive and and bubbly and. I think it's a very, very cool contrast. So I think those two characters, even like in a story, would would bounce off of each other extremely well, Chris. All right, Chris, that brings us to your second draft pick for the space mission. What have you got? I need somebody with a killer instinct. And while I love this character, I had to contemplate for a long time because they can be a bit of a loose cannon. But one of my all-time, already all-time favorite characters in sci-fi fandom is emperor philippa giorgio i love so much about this character just that just bad 
mentality of I every every room that she walks into, she immediately owns it. It doesn't matter what dignitaries or what universe that she's in. She automatically owns it um, and is just willing to do whatever to further the cause. And, um, you know, her allegiances uh, can be questionable at times, but if you can get her on your side and on your team, as, as we see through, you know, Star Trek discovery, uh, that's, that's one of your most vital allies. So Emperor Philippa Giorgio is my second pick. Wow. I, I didn't see that one coming. Um, yeah, your team better watch their back at all times <laughs> there, Chris, because she does not mess around. Um, Fantastic character, fantastically acted as well. Um, absolutely adore uh, Philippa Giorgio. Uh, I will say that um, survival rate uh, of your the rest of your team members is, I don't know if it's rising or plummeting here. <laughs> as, as long as they stay on her good side, right. I guess maybe they'll live. But if they cross her, I think they might all die, Chris. <laughs> yeah, that's a definite possibility. And, you know, I, I needed an assassin. Um, and so that's that's a, a risk that I'm having to take. But I'm willing to do so because there's there's none better than than uh, Giorgio. All right, Dave, who is the third member of your mission to space squad? So this is going to seem um, extremely uh, an extremely odd choice, but you know what? I'm I'm willing to justify it. Uh, I really think that what we need on a team like this is somebody with uh, a healthy dose of investigative skills, because you never know what you're going to encounter. You need somebody who has you know a detective background who can figure things out. And although you know people like Batman are considered the world's greatest detective. Uh, I'm I'm actually going to settle on somebody who, at the very least, it can face the weird of space without getting completely phased by it. And that is, of course, New York police detective Sarah Pizzini, the Witchblade, uh, a character who is smart, very street smart. She has investigated incredibly odd and weird things uh, ever since she encountered the mystical gauntlet, the Witchblade. She's also very powerful. Uh, she can, you know, clothe herself in armor. She has this gauntlet that uh, is mystical in nature, so it can probably take on some alien threats fairly well. Also, um, plus she has just a very uh, world-weary personality. She's seen a lot. Um, and I think, you know, again, there's something interesting to be said from a story perspective about how these characters, you know, will mesh. You know, the the more no-nonsense Captain Marvel when she's on the job, the naive, bubbly um, wasp. And then you have Sarah Pizzini, the Witchblade, this, this world-weary I'm getting, you know, I'm getting tired of all this crap. I have seen it all at this point. I think uh, those ladies would would have um, just very, very interesting interactions. And then transposing Sarah into space, which is something that's, uh, from my knowledge, and I've I've read most Witchblade stories, from my knowledge, never actually happened before. Uh, that would be absolutely a, a fascinating position to put her in as well. So yeah, my uh, third draft pick is Sarah Pizzini, the Witchblade. 
See, this was a classic bait and switch because I was waiting for you to say Jessica Jones, but ah, I played with that thought, Chris. <laughs> I've played with that thought. I'm a big, big Jessica Jones fan, and I think Jessica Jones and and Sarah Pizzini, if they ever were to meet in the comic books, would sit down and and have a beer together. I think they'd be swapping stories. There's a, they have a lot in common in 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 several different ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I I enjoyed as out there as it was and as questionable as some of the art was i did enjoy what i read of witchblade so this is a really cool pick and i'm i'm a sucker for detective stories as you and i have talked about on the show at nauseum at this point yeah i'm i think this is just a great pick and again i, I just love the interplay between these characters so i think that'd be a lot of fun all right that brings us to uh your third pick chris what have you got i'm sticking with trek this time around and um a fascinating character who in this iteration identifies as a female i'm going with jadzia dax who can do it all like you need a scientist right there done can do it uh you need someone with like you know, hand-to-hand combat. I mean, just, I'm kind of cheating a little bit because at this point, I believe it's nine previous lifetimes and all those skills and all of that knowledge is baked in there with uh, with Jadzia. Uh, so one of my all-time favorite characters of Star Trek. Um, and and so I think this is a like almost like a utility character. You have, you can play multiple positions can perform multiple tasks so jadzia can do just about anything and everything uh so my third member is definitely going to be jadzia Dad. yeah that is kind of cheating <laughs> that you, you get like <laughs> nine characters there um yeah jadzia is just a fantastic character um and, and very interesting pick for something like this obviously i mean you know space perfectly fine that's where she hangs out anyways um but just a very interesting personality too so no love for esri chris Ezri, no, I'm I'm a Jadzia uh, fan. Yeah, uh, a little love for a little love for Emony with uh, the John Jackson Miller novel. Emony, Emony the gymnast. Uh, some some love. Oh, absolutely, some love. That John Jackson Miller book was absolutely incredible. All right, yeah. So I would say uh, you 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 made a smart pick there with uh, with Jadzia. She's a absolutely fantastic character, and will uh, will fill in any role that needs to be filled in on your team. So. Um, and has previous experience with uh, Emperor Giorgio, so um, you know from a previous lifetime. So that should exactly. Be nice. So that maybe maybe I I almost went Michael Burnham, but I didn't want to go too heavy on Discovery um, because also Michael would kind of overlap some of the roles that I've drafted previously. So um, you know that would be a good combo pick, Michael and Giorgio, because. Like if anybody can get through to Giorgio and kind of get her to stay on the side of the angels, quote unquote, uh, it would be Michael. But I think Jadzia, you know, in her previous experience as as Emony, you know, that's that's not a bad, you know, turn of events either. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. All right, Dave, number four. You only got two left. Who's number four? Well, you know, so uh, we have, you know, a leader, we have a scientist, we have an investigator. What possibly other weird stuff could you encounter in space? Well, how about magic? So obviously we need somebody who can handle magic. And is there anybody better in all of comicdom? Yes, I'm not saying I'm not saying Doctor Strange. I'm sorry, dude. Is there anybody better in handling magical threats in all of comicdom than Satana Satara? my absolutely favorite magic user in all of comicdom. Uh, she's, of course, the daughter of uh, Zatera, the uh, 
famous magician. She is a stage magician, which also hides the fact that she is a real magician. Um, and she very famously, of course, uses speaking phrases backwards as a way of manifesting her powers. So I think if you're going to have a all-female squad, you're going to need a magic user. And Zatanna is the perfect uh, individual for this particular assignment. On top of that, she has, you know, style and flair um, as she is a stage performer. And that sort of style and flair would be really interesting to see again uh, in contrast to uh, the other characters uh, that I have already previously chosen for my squad. So I think um, another character that would mesh very interestingly with the others. So I have absolutely zero, 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 zero experience with this character, but my DC friends rant and rave about her, yourself included. So this is, an, I've got a lot of my plate when it comes to comics to read, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by this because uh, there's, there's a lot of chatter about Zatanna. Paul Dini is uh, very famously, uh, you know, probably the best writer of of the Zatanna character. Uh, in in her most popular incarnation, she's you know popped up in like Justice League Dark and stuff. But the, the most popular version is probably uh, the one that pops up in like you know Batman the Animated Series and and Justice League, uh, the the old DC animated universe. And then Dini actually wrote I think a mini series uh, at DC Comics of Satana as well. Um, and you know he draws heavy inspiration from his wife, so I think that's absolutely fascinating. I thought you were going to surprise me with a mutant pick there because I thought you were going to go magic with a K, Ileana Rasputin, uh, who hopefully is going to take over Sorcerer Supreme. But uh, I think your probably only exposure was that very highly questionable uh, racist interpretation that they did in that movie for whatever reason. Yeah, that that is pretty much my only uh, exposure. I'm still, you know, not, not as well versed in mutant dumb as, as you are. Um so, you know, I don't think I have, uh, you know, that big of a curveball to throw you. But Zatanna, man, I mean, she's awesome. All right, Chris, what is your fourth and next to last draft pick? Okay, so we need a medic. We need someone with medical experience. You know, you never know what's going to go down. Let's say, let's say this is an away team on a planet. You never know what kind of, you know, medical emergency you're going to run the risk of. Of and if we're going badass female characters and I need a medic, there's no one better, uh, provided that there's not an ancient Irish spirit um, that hooked up with her grandma. Uh, but Dr. Beverly Crusher is uh, my medic du jour when it comes to, you know, this badass female team that we've crafted here. Um, just awesome, awesome, strong female character, single mom, doing it all. Um, having to work with her uh, long time crush on a daily basis and keep it professional. Um, so I love Bev and, and all jokes aside with, uh, with the uh, sub Rosa and everything. I, I just uh, admire so much, you know, spending a couple of years myself as, as a single parent and, and, you know, still having to go to work and do all the things necessary um, I love, I love, I got a lot of love for Bev and the second season of TNG, there was a, there was a big absence, um, you know, and, and there's, you know, a lot to be said about Diana Muldaur's, you know, 
performance uh, is a very talented actor. The, the, the character of Dr. Pulaski is hit or miss for me. Um, but uh, when Crusher came back in season three, that's when we really picked up with the uh, next generation. Yeah. I'm going to be completely honest with you, man. Uh, Doc Crusher is um, on paper to me, a fascinating character, but she never quite clicked for me in execution. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously, I think, you know, having a medic on the team is an absolutely great idea and one I did not consider. And now I'm kicking myself. Um, <laughs> how, you know, so so I think, you know, I, I salute you for the idea, although I will freely admit that Crusher is, you know, not not my all time favorite character when it comes to, um, you know, Trekdom. I will also say uh, that maybe my opinion of her is a little um, uh, influenced by the fact that the very first um, appearance of her that I experienced, the very first time I actually saw her, was in a very questionable episode where she gets busy with a ghost. Yeah, Sub Rosa. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I think that I think that particular episode has kind of colored my um, my opinion of her just a little bit, and I was never quite able to shake the uh, the the ghostly busyness of of it all. I guess is the best way to put it, Chris. Hey, hey, no kink shaming here. If you want to, you know, if, if if ghostly encounters are your thing, then no judgment here. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, man. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kink shaming. I'm just saying, I'm just kink asking why. Like, I guess that's the best way to put it. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, Dave, you got uh, one more slot on your team. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I did not it, it did not occur to me to to get a doctor on board, um, which is probably not a good thing for my uh, my team. However, um, I'll also freely admit that this next character kind of uh, duplicates some of the traits of some of the other draft members. But gosh darn it, I don't give a crap. I love her so much. So my my last draft pick is Green Lantern. But but which Green Lantern? Well. Sojourner Joe Mullen, my absolutely favorite Green Lantern, uh, who has now uh, supplanted Kyle Rayner as my all-time favorite. What a fantastic character she is. Military experience, experience as a police officer, uh, obviously experienced in space matters, has one of the you know most powerful weapons in the universe on her hand. But what makes it also really interesting with her is that her a Green Lantern ring is unique, not being connected directly to the central Green Lantern power battery. It doesn't have to be recharged as it is self-charging. So she has to stop using it every once in a while to make sure it has enough time to recharge itself, which, you know, leads to some very interesting um, situations as well. On top of that, I think uh, she would have, uh, you know, a lot to uh, to talk about with, you know, Carol Danvers, for example, uh, who has a military background as well and is also a space-based hero. Um, she would have a lot of interesting things to talk about, you know, with Sarah Pizzini as they both have some, uh, you know, experience as, as police, although, again, very different experiences. And I think that would be uh, an interesting thing to explore. So just altogether, I really like uh, this edition, even though, you know, she doesn't fulfill a discrete role on the team i think she would be a, an incredible addition to the team yeah i think farscape alongside uh immortal hulk 
two of your nerd commendations that have hit home with me the most. I mean, Immortal Hulk, I've only got like two or three issues left now. I, I've binged like 25 issues in the past two or three days. And then, you know, you had Farscape to that. Um, and I'm, I, it's, it's one of the reasons that I'm so glad that nerd commendations as an idea kind of came about when we were planning the process of this show because you know it's it's one of the things coming from you know markedly different reading backgrounds with dc and marvel is just like well what's something from the the other company that you would recommend or you know even indie stuff or you know stuff outside of comics and it's one of the ones that i am resoundingly grateful for because farscape is an absolutely magnum opus joe Mullane is instantly in the top power rankings of my favorite characters and how how she made it to number five is my only nitpick. Well, you know, I kind of was not going in a particular order of ranking, um, more just like what what is the good order to talk to about these characters? Right. And since the previous four kind of fulfilled discrete roles, I saved. You could say the best for last. Hey. Hey. <laughs> so that brings us to the grand finale, Chris. Who is your final draft pick? I will see your best for last and raise you, Captain Harrison Dula. Uh, one, one of my all-time favorite Star Wars characters, fandom characters, whatever moniker, category you want to place on it. Star Wars Rebels is one of the most underrated. I don't even know if I've nerd commended it. Okay, we can look forward to that next week. Um it's one of the most underrated and underappreciated entries into the Star Wars mythos. Um, and you know, uh, unfortunately that's a lot of like the, the prejudice you get with an animated property. You've got like your, your, your anime, your anime and your animation fans who are like, you know, young justice and, you know, watch this product. And, and then there are still sections of the fandoms where like, it's animation. I'm not touching it, you know? So you're missing out on, you know, great works of art, like clone wars and rebels. And, you know, even clone wars gets a little bit more love than rebels does, but I think rebels really just encapsulates with fantastic character work and relationships. Um, and it give, it gave me the, um, you know, the only droid that I, I, I can fathom and I can tolerate. So there's, there's something, you know, in its wheelhouse as well, but captain Harrison Dula is far and away my favorite character. Uh, I'm a Twi'lek stan. Uh, I think the Twi'lek design of a character is probably one of the coolest and and most aesthetically just awesome um, designs of a character. So, um, you know, Hera can can do it all. Has a complicated history with her father as like um, you know, kind of like this this re- rebel cell agent. Um, and so like, that's a fascinating thing to watch develop. But I mean, if we're going strictly based on skills presented in the job, there's no better pilot in the galaxy than, than Captain Harris and Dula. Um, so this is a perfect way to tie up my team. I think that, you know, I really wanted to go like one of each category and you got to get somebody that's going to get you the heck out of Dodge. So, uh, Han Solo and his Kessel run have nothing on my girl. Yeah, another fantastic character. I've uh, watched uh, a healthy dose of Rebels. I will freely admit not all of it. Uh, I'm quite excited also that uh, the rumor mill is suggesting that we're going to see this character in live action in the Ahsoka series. 
So it looks like you're getting more uh, more hero content here pretty soon. But yeah, you know, as far as like if you're going to need a pilot, I don't think it gets better than this, right? Yeah, I mean, if I get Ahsoka and Hera in the same show, I don't know that I'll be able to contain myself, man. That's pretty wild, huh? All right, those are our teams for our mission to space. Who would you put on your roster? You got five spots on a mission to space. Who you got? Be sure to sound off on Twitter and Instagram at NerdByWord. When we come back from this, our final break, it's Nerd Commendation time, and we've got the goods. All right, welcome back to our final segment. You know it as... Dave, we kind of already talked about this in a previous pick, but uh, it's been more of the same from this line. Yeah, dude, uh, I know that we've talked in general about the current run on Spider-Man, the Beyond storyline, and how very, very good it is. But, you know, there some every once in a while a single issue comes along that just absolutely deserves the spotlight. And, dude, this issue opened up my eyes to so many possibilities. And it is, of course, Spider-Man number 80 dot bay uh this is sort of an in-between issue is this between on the issue. bay yes <laughs> sitting on the dock of the bay um so this is an in-between issue between spider-man number 80 and spider-man number 81 um it was written by cody ziggler and features art from ivan fiorelli carlos gomez and paco medina and uh, let me tell you this is incredible. So just to briefly recap where we are story-wise in the Spider-Man Beyond story, uh, Peter Parker uh, was uh, in the middle of a very unfortunate explosion that involved uh, numerous you know, chemicals from various supervillains and has been in a coma in the mainline Spider-Man title. And Ben Riley has been basically the mainline Spider-Man for a while now. And so this particular issue uh, features Aunt May, who is uh, very, very tired of the doctors not being able to help her nephew, deciding to call an old love interest of hers, namely Dr. Otto Octavius, uh, in order to get some help in finding uh, a way to cure Peter. And they go on this mission together, and dude, it is everything that my heart could ever desire. I, it's unbelievable to think that what one of my favorite Spider-Man issues of the year features almost no Spider-Man. Um, well, it features no Spider-Man and um, almost no Peter Parker and or, or Ben Riley, uh, and it's just absolutely a rip roaring fun good time. Aunt May teaming up with Otto Octavius. I want. I want an ongoing, dude, at the very least, I want a miniseries stat. I want these two working together. Aunt May trying to tame the wilder sides of Otto and trying to get him to be a better man, using her her soft-spoken goodness to get through things that she really shouldn't be able to get through. And then Otto, of course, going off off the deep end occasionally and doing things he really shouldn't do that will, of course, horribly disappoint Aunt May. This is like this is like the heart-to-heart you know, for those of you that remember that old show that I want, you know, two people who very clearly have chemistry uh, working together to to do stuff in the Marvel Universe. Dude, this is so good. The whole issue was so much fun. And I can actually see um, 
I can actually see this relationship working long term in, in the Marvel universe, which is something I never thought I would say. I always thought, you know, what Aunt May almost married Otto Octavius? Yuck. <laughs> what kind of stupid idea is that? But the way it is executed in this issue, like I could see those two crazy kids making a run for it. This issue is full of great moments. And that flirtatious banter between Aunt May and Otto is so much fun fun to just read all these little moments that take place in this issue are absolutely wonderful cody ziggler knocked the dialogue out of the park in this and the art by ivan fiorelli carlos gomez and paco medina uh, absolutely conveyed those those flirtatious moments between those two characters perfectly so you know, hats off to the entire team involved with this issue. Um, it's so consequential to the mainline uh, story, but on top of that, it's just rip-roaring fun, and I cannot praise it enough. I, I giggled out loud several times reading this issue, and I cannot say that that is something that happens often reading comic books anymore. So, you know, so kudos. Uh, this gets, like, five-star nerd commendation for me. You know, pick up this issue and read it now, even if you're not very well-versed in the current Spider-Man storyline. All you need to know is Aunt May, Doc Ock, team-up issue. And and it just is everything that you could ever hope it could be. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, I'm I'm riding the wave. Like, it, it, I can't say it enough. And I really love this whole Beyond Board, or whatever they're calling themselves, of this rotating roster of writers. Talk about, you know, team building, like we did uh, in the big, uh, Byward Big Talk earlier, but like... It's really it plays to the strengths of each and every one of the writers. And so, you know, Cody Ziegler being a relative newcomer, you know, I was like, um, you know, cautiously optimistic to borrow your phrase. And like, you know, what are we going to see here? Um, and I, I listened to podcast interviews with them. Uh, and I know that they're writing on the upcoming, you know, series, Disney Plus series of She-Hulk. And if this is any indication of the type of writing that we're going to get, holy crap. She-Hulk just skyrocketed to one of my most anticipated properties because this issue and the previous ASM proper issue was a heck of a lot of fun and just like just really boils down the the quintessential aspects of these characters. And, uh, you know, I was really happy to see Aunt May out of this whole like helpless damsel of you know the elderly whatever that 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 has been such a characterization that is so off-putting for me as a reader and just seeing some agency in aunt may again is is just like a, a real joy and then seeing her play off of auto this just like this odd couple that has no business you know having this connection and yet it works so well and then you know just aunt may just like this wine drinking uh power mom is is just so fun to see and the art is fantastic i could i could speak forever about ivan fiorelli i am excited to, uh, i love what they've done on marauders and what they're going to continue to do on that title and this this issue was perfect and the previous issue by ziggler on amazing spider-man proper was fantastic as well and i will say that uh the aunt may in this issue reminded me probably most in the best possible way of the Aunt May is written by J. Michael Straczynski back in the day. Yeah. Um, somebody who gets, you know, gets her hands dirty, gets into thicker things, will do what needs to be done to try to protect her nephew, is, you know, a a bad ass in her own way. Uh, and I think that's been sorely missing uh, in Aunt May over the last few years. And I'm so glad 
to see that somebody's bringing that back. I'll tell you what. Um, it it reminded me of my absolute favorite iteration of Aunt May that we've seen on the screen. Um, and all due respect Mar- to Marissa Tomei, Rosemary Harris, and the goat Sally Field, but Lily Tomlin is far and away the best Aunt May that we've ever got on screen. And it was such a precious few morsels that we got in Into the Spider-Verse. I hope she comes back for for the, the, the sequels, but Lily Tomlin, I got mad Lily Tomlin. And if this is a non-nerd commendation commendation, but, but Grace and Frankie on Netflix is one of the funniest shows out there right now. And, and she's a star. Um, so I got mad Lily Tomlin energy from this and I absolutely ate it up. Uh, also join us next week for a deep dive into Grace and Frankie on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris. So what is, uh, what is your nerd commendation this week? Dude, so I I told y'all uh, last week that I'm late to the party on this, um, but Fallout 4, I just finished it up, and I poured way too much time into this game, but it was such a joy, and I know that I am six years late, but God, it was amazing. And it's everything, that, so apparently Bethesda is just like the creative studio for me, and seeing as that they have this exclusive partnership with Microsoft, and I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, I'm going to be sitting pretty because it's everything that the Outer Worlds was. Uh, and I ranted and raved about that several months ago, uh, except it was longer. And that was my only nitpick about the Outer Worlds um, is that I needed it to be longer. And, you know, I still beat this in a couple of weeks playing daily, but it, it was so fantastic. And I think, you know, outside of the whole sci-fi post-apocalyptic society thing, I think my favorite thing about it is the writing and the storytelling that takes place in in this game in particular. Um, you know, Fallout 76 <laughs> famously uh, is one of the most, we'll go with polarizing entries in not just Bethesda works in the Fallout franchise, but like video games. It makes like one of the all-time lists of like a disastrous launch. It's up there with like uh, the Battlefront 2, the EA release, and where they did a lot of backpedaling. And so I'm playing 76 now, and I'm, I'm enjoying larger parts of it. But Fallout 4, that, that main story campaign, the different factions that you have to kind of spin plates and please one after the other and, you know, kind of play this double or triple agent. Um, and and there's something I will I will never tire of a video game in which your decisions have lasting impacts and just that choose your own adventure storyline of like you have a choice and it matters and the stakes in this are just fantastic so fallout 4 is one of the the my favorite gaming experience i've had in recent years and uh, if you, like me, are late to the party, I highly recommend you head over to Game Pass. Oh, that's the best part, too. I didn't have to pay anything extra. I just downloaded it because it's part of Game Pass. So uh, Fallout 4 was a romping good time, and I still have a couple of side missions to tie up, but it was a whole lot of fun. Have I have to ask, because I've played some Fallout 4. I never actually finished the game. Um, you know, time is uh, a premium. Um but I have to ask, did you ever get a chance to play uh, Fallout New Vegas? That is uh, next up on my list. I, I I started it, but the graphics being what they were, I was just like, ooh. But I definitely want to check it out now again. I, I know that, you know, Fallout 4 is further down the, the line uh, as far as like, you know, being newer game and therefore more, you know, graphically a little bit more pleasing. But I think you're going to find playing um, New Vegas that 
mechanically in in many places and story wise. Um, at least in my humble opinion, New Vegas is still the superior game. Uh, it's it's just it's a very very good time, and and the story is very very good in it. Um, Fallout Four when it came out actually was met a little bit with disappointment for uh, Fallout fans um, because although it was beautiful graphically, uh, you know they fell a lot of fans felt that it was kind of a step back in some ways away from the quality of Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas. So. I'm, I'd be very, very curious to hear what your take is once you play uh, New Vegas. Uh, you know, which side of the debate you fall on. As it is, Fallout 4 is still, <laughs> still a very, very good time. You know, if you're into that kind of like free roaming, open world, RPG inspired kind of thing. Uh, I, I absolutely adore the Fallout games. I think they're they're just fantastic. So, you know, I, I'll wholeheartedly echo your recommendation with, you know, the footnote of I can't wait to hear what you think of New Vegas as well. I think I think uh, New Vegas was the first one I tried to, and so you add to the fact, um, like the 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 graphics took me out a little bit, and then like learning this whole world and system of mechanics was a little bit overwhelming, and so maybe like now that I get like the whole shtick of Fallout, like playing seventy six is much easier now. Um, and it has some pros and cons, definitely. Uh, you know, the online multiplayer is not my bag, um, but there are some fun missions that you can do that are completely independent. The whole constantly live aspect of 76 is frustrating. You know, you can pause the game, sure, but you could still die. Um, but you could, you know, so there's some pros and cons to 76, but I overall, I am enjoying it. So I'm looking forward to tapping into New Vegas, with, what with the uh, winter break coming up. I think that'll probably want to be my principal endeavors. Yeah, that's probably a, a good philosophy there. All right, that wraps up another episode. Episode 81. How have we made it 81 episodes of the Nerd by Word podcast? If you enjoy what you hear, be sure to head to your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a five-star rating and review. That could be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or nerdbyword.com. And of course, find us on social media. Let us know what you think of the show or if we said something here that you disagree with or agree with and you want to have a dis- uh, kind of a discourse about it, we're there for it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, the nerd, at nerd by word or individually at that nerd Chris and at that nerd Dave. Yeah, be sure to tell us who your roster of five would be on a mission to space. But as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.